Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sportsbet BS Hotline, state your emergency. Yeah, it's me punters group. Me mate Dave, I reckons he bought in. Okay, hang up now. What? And join Sportsbet's Bet With Mates. It's group betting without all the BS. Conditions apply. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. Joining us now, Fletch, is a former NRL player that you know, uh, Nick Youngquest. You there, Nick? Hey, Legends. How are we? Going good, mate. Now, Nick, are you back in Australia? Yeah, I'm back in Australia. I'll ride back on, on Monday from the New York City Marathon. Oh, oh right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did you did the marathon. How was that? Yeah, it was all good, mate. It was all good. It's uh, It was a tough day at the office, to be honest with you. It's uh, one of the hottest marathons on record, and it was um, 85% humidity. But, mate, we got it done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as you're talking about mental health, you know, it's uh, – we use the running as a, a bit of a way to prioritise our mental health. A few of me and my buddies uh, that played, Lucy Burgess ran the marathon as well. Yeah. Um, Benny Lucas from Flow Athletic. Um, yeah, obviously, mate, it's a, you know, a great way to, to get together and, and, um, and chat about, you know, all things life when you're doing the, the training runs for, you know, three hours from, to get to the, to the start line of the marathons, the, the three hour runs on the Saturday, you talk about all sorts of things. Probably should get you along for a, for a bit of a chat, Fletch. Yeah, definitely. So, just tell us a little bit about yeah. Athletes for Life. So, you you were a co-founder of that. Was that um, after you retired? Because I know a lot of yeah. players struggle to uh, with in life after f- footy. Um, yeah, is that something that you are noticing more and more? Yeah, I think we're, we're all noticing it, right? You know, like we've been talking about mental health for a long time mm. um, in general, but, but transitioning athletes is a real, um, it's a real interesting space. Um, as you know, you've transitioned yourself, but you probably, you know, everyone thinks that things are, are, are going swimmingly, but, you know, the, the last time you walk out of the locker room, you you lose that structure, you lose the mm. teammates, the camaraderie that you you built up over so many years. Um, I was kind of lost, you know. I, I probably went on to something that was a bit more, probably seemingly more successful than my footy career. We, you know, we'd, we'd probably need a, a whole segment to talk about how many teams I played for. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was kind of uh, kind of struggling um, living in New York and, and, and doing something that probably outwardly looked like I was doing, you know, better at, but I kind of missed all that, um, the stuff that we, the, the, the sport provides us. And, um the, the the lack of purpose is really the, the big one and, and structure. Um, so yeah, we kind we we founded Athletes for Life in 2019 to try and provide like kind of healthy pathways for former athletes to kind of prioritise their emotional and physical well-being. So we run marathons, supporting charities around the world and and here in in Australia as well. Yeah. Um, but then we also run programs to to help athletes transcend their athletic identity. So kind of cultivate multiple forms of who you are, like outside of the the athlete realm, you know. So, Nick, um, what you were saying there, um, after you retired from footy, just for our listeners, yeah. you became the face of Paco Rabanne, which I was just telling the story before. It you were you were mo- you were modelling for him, and so are you saying yeah. that even though you were doing that and you were in New York and you had you're on 
billboards. Did, were you saying you were still lost a little bit um, from when you retired from footy? For sure, mate. For sure, I was really, really struggling to find that like um, that purpose, as I, as I mentioned, you know. And I couldn't really put my finger on the pulse. You know, I was like, "What's doing here?" And like, you know, life was seemingly better, as I said. But living in New York City, a great place to live. Um, but I just like lacked a little bit of direction, and I think that getting back into running gave me that structure again, right? So training for a marathon is obviously not easy. Um, and having to turn up and, and, and becoming part of a little bit of a group in New York to run really provided like that outlet that I was probably looking for, you know. And um, and the, and the running's really, you know, I've run nine marathons since then. Um, wow. And something I think that, you know, I'll continue to do hopefully long into into my, um, you know, 60s and hopefully 70s. I don't know. Like it's, uh, you, you, the marathon's an amazing one, mate. Like you get out there and, you know, not every person is able to play elite sport. Mm. Um, such a small percentage of people, you know, make it to the, the elite level. But if you're willing to have a crack, you can get out there and, and, you, can, and you can have a crack at a marathon. Um, that's what I really love. 55,000 people across, the, you know, on the streets of New York City with 2 million spectators. And, like, it lit something in me that, you know, and link, you know linking it to charity and stuff as well. Is, uh, it was super cool for me. Yeah. What sort of times are you doing in your marathons, Nick? Are you running them in a oh, decent mate, clip? I, I, my, my best New York is uh, 3 hours 25. That's good. Um, and I ran 3:25 in Berlin as well, but we um, it was a bit of a struggle, mate. To be honest with you, out there in New York on the weekend, I ran well into the, the four-hour mark. But um, as I said, man, it's not the you know, it's not about the winning. You know, it's about the participation. Just being there. Um, the, the days of needing to win and like participate at the highest level are done. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be out there with everyone, and, and you know, you get it's, it's so awesome. You get 60, 70 year old men and women running past you. And it's, it's like, it's just eye-opening, you know? Um, you know, blind runners. Um, there was, there was a, I ran past a guy last weekend and with, with uh, two blades. And I'm like, this, how good this, you know? Just, just stoked to be out there. Yeah, Nick, um, you also, are not not just um, feeling a bit lost after finishing playing, mm. you also suffered from mm. um, seizures and problems with concussion, yeah. concussion post-career. Can you tell us about that? And then the setting up of the concussion clubhouse? Yeah, man. Well, I... I I started, so I retired in 2012, 2013. I'm walking along the streets in Paris after um, after work one day. And I, I was just overcome with this weird, strange feeling. Um, and I had a seizure on the side of the road. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's quite alarming. But, you know, as, as we do, especially as blokes um, and coming from elite sport, I was like, no, nah, I'll be good, I'll be good. I was in hospital for a few days. And then I kind of left that left it, you know, kind of put it in my back pocket and kind of forgot about it. And then I had subsequently had more seizures. Um, and, you know, as as we've gone on from the, the months after, well, the weeks, months after, you know, Greeny's death, like I had all the testing and, and my brain doesn't show any, any kind of abnormalities, no problems, but I have the, I had the, the physical kind of <clears throat> symptom or the acute symptom of, uh, of seizures if I don't take my medication. So um, I, I feel quite lucky in that sense because if you, if you think about someone like Greeny who was obviously having these thoughts and, and, and the, the, these, um, these struggles like a prisoner in his own mind, I kind of don't have that, but I have the, the seizures to, to show me that there's actually probably something wrong. Um, so yeah, we we set up a concussion clubhouse to just kind of chat and provide a 
an outlet for people to talk about it. Stevie Ward, who's a, a forward that played at Leeds, mm. had to retire early due to concussions as well. Um, we, we just, you know, chat about it. With, with your seizures and stuff, I was just going to yeah. ask you, do you think that was due from concussion or getting knocked out? Is that what the doctors have said or you're, you're just presuming that? Well, I'd, I'd never blame the sport, mate. Let's be fair. No. We, love, we love the game, right? And, and um, we love the game to be played um, in the brutal context it was. Mate. I, played, I played on the wing, and at the end of my career, I wanted to, like, it was kind of a way to prove myself um, to try and be kind of tough, right? But, um, my, you know, my neurologist in New York said to me, he said, look, man, um, given your pre-exposure to, to traumatic brain injury, there's no reason I could discount that it's not from that. Right. Um, <clears throat> But mate, the, the thing is, like, you know, even knowing that, if I had the same opportunities again, I'd, I'd do it all again, wouldn't I? You yeah. Know? So, um, well, I don't think there's but many. Obviously, like, I think there's. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, like, people are, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's inev- inevitable that what happened in the NFL, players will then sue. I don't think it, it would happen here. I, I just don't. I can't see any players who have played at that level coming out and blaming the game for not doing mm. their due I... diligence. Yeah, well, I think that you, you know you know the cohort of players that, that played in uh, they're a little bit older than me, Fletch, but um, in our era, uh, <laughs> I'll say. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I kind of tend to agree. You know, like at the end of at the end of the day, we knew um, that the, the game the game's played tough, right? Yeah. Um, I think that the, the, the game's doing doing a great job now of um, putting different protocols in place. Um, do they stop it too much? Potentially, I don't know, but. Um, the, the things that I'd probably be most worried about would be the training hits. Yeah. Um, you would you would probably agree with this, Fletch. At the end of our careers, we were you know we were we were pretty much playing a, a forty minutes of a yeah. game at, at training as well. You know, I was full on, um, and then not as monitored. So that's probably an area where it's probably going to get better. I know in the NFL they do have an independent third party that um, that monitors training. Um, so the same as an HIA within the game, they, they do the same at training. So do we have to get to that? Potentially, um, would coaches like that? Probably not. No. Um, but if it's a, if it's a protocol we have to put in place to ensure the safety of players, like you know, it's, it's probably a good one to, to put in. So it's a bit, you know, I, someone like me that was, was quite much smaller than everyone else, um, it can be quite dangerous to training, right? I remember, I remember times in like. You know, as a winger, was put into situations like, for instance, fighting in the boxing ring yeah. with two front row forwards because it was like a, a kind of mechanism to toughen me up, yeah. which is kind of stupid, right? So let's get get rid of that craft, right? And 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 you know, really make sure that we're we're doing the right thing by the, the, the players. Yeah, well, that's what happened to Craig Wing. So when Sticky took over the Chooks, two thousand and two, <laughs> he, he was on this, he was on this. Um, Warpath to make sure that your halves had to be tough and defend, right? And this is coming from Stick, who's defended on the wing. Yeah. And after, <laughs> after, after nearly every training session, poor old Wingy would have to face the forwards and blokes. Yeah. So you'd go up and you'd look, you'd look after him, like and Wingy could defend, but you'd go up and you wouldn't go as hard. And he would, and Ricky go, Sticky goes, mate, we're not leaving until you go fair income. So not only we exactly. had all the training, poor old Wingy had to had Adrian Morley flying at him and had to do like 20 or 30 tackles. It was just ridiculous. Do you, yeah. think, do you think these old well, school coaches have changed that mentality nah, in the game? Not, not not really. I think at the end, 
not not yet. It'll be a generation before they get told. Because you know how about um, unless you're there's someone there from the players association at training. But as soon as you yeah. mention in rugby league, if someone said to you, "Oh, you've gone five minutes over training," you know, RLPA, yeah, you, you wouldn't be playing. You're done. For, you're yeah, done. You're done. You'd be done from the club. Now, Nick, exactly. Nick, do you do you think that currently that there is enough stuff in place for these athletes that do come out of these professional careers, or do you think that the NRL can be doing more? I think that definitely that all sports can be doing more, mate. To be honest with you, it's a um, no one really knows where the where the responsibility lays. Um, I think that what uh, the RLPA is doing with the new CBA. Um, to try and take care of the transition space is a, is a positive step forward. I think that in most sports around the world, I definitely know that in the NFL, in the um, FPA, in, in England for the football, um, they in, like they take care of the transition space and, and the well-being. Um, so I think that that's going to provide better outcomes. Um, you know, if the players get behind the well-being and the transition, um, we're gonna we're gonna you know see better outcomes more broadly um but it's you know what it's like it's fairly quickly after retirement you know the clubs or the game really relinquishes all responsibility um it's like you know good luck you're on your own yeah um this is not uncommon you know most of my research around this has been on um female gymnasts um and and we know that they've they've been exposed to you know some horrible environments you know but if you're 22 23 as a female gymnast You've been taken out of home at 12 years old. You've been homeschooled. You've been doing 40 hours of gym, gym every day for the last 10 years. If you ever won a gold medal in the Olympics, you're on your merry way in a world that you don't really know much about, mm. um, which is scary. So the, the Athletes for Life, Nico, is it from all, all different sports? Or do you have to be an elite sportsman? Or do you have to play professional? Or can you just be an average Joe? Yeah, I, you can definitely be an average Joe. We're, we're trying to help elite sports people make the transitions, but we, yeah. we want to engage people across the board to, to just prioritise their physical and emotional well-being by taking um, productive steps to, to do so. So we kind of marry up um, the, the athlete voice or, or the athlete personas alongside positive psychology to provide, you know, again, productive kind of ways to, or tools to improve your emotional um, well-being and the physical well-being comes from, from the running. Um, you know, rather than the conversation getting to the acute kind of, um, or the end point where someone's having a critical moment in their life, like what about all the steps along the way where, you know, you could have been using these productive tools to to, to not get yourself to a point of disruption or despair. Um, you know, athletes are very influential in society and uh, we're, we're seeing more and more society wanting them to talk up and speak up about things. So if we can, you know, do that in a, in a positive way, I think that we can have um, great impact and, you know, change the kind of social dichotomy a little bit. Thanks, Nick. It's, it's very important, the work that you're doing. Uh, and for people out there that are listening that want to find you, what, what's the best place to find you? I mean, these days, where where else? You can go to Instagram, I guess. I don't know. But no, you can go to our website, um, www.athletesforlife.com.au um, and, and reach out. And, and, you know, anyone who wants to reach out and get involved with, especially the running program, like, you know, we, we just want to get as many people 
running as possible. Obviously, men, uh, sorry, physical health is uh, is is a, a determinant to to mental health. You know, so if you can prioritise that, get healthy and fit, and um, you know, put the right things in place to 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 be well, um, maybe we can you know uh, impact. The, the suicide rates and the mental health rates in society. So. Yeah, well said, Nico. And if you can't get him on Instagram, you'll find him at the Ivy Pool uh, Friday and Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday nights. Uh, just walking around. Shirt off. Not these days, just... not these days <laughs> Thanks, Nico. Thanks, Thanks for your time, brother. Absolutely. Champion, um, mate. Do you hate your multifocal glasses? Why continue to struggle? Thanks to Medonic, your eyes could be young again. For a free consultation. Visit medonic.com.au. Medonic Laser Clinic, the best place to lose your glasses.